Hey, Ryan. How are you doing, Lee? Thanks for coming on. Doing well. I'm so glad you took the time to, to be here and share some of your practical wisdom with my audience. Um, I want to give a real quick introduction of you, and then we can jump into our, our discussion. We have a lot of cool things to talk about. So Ryan James is a president and CEO of Surety Bank. It's a community bank located just north of Orlando. Ryan and I have been friends and done work together for probably about seven years now. Um, and I've been able to watch Ryan grow uh, and change as a person and a leader. Um, and I've seen him make tough decisions behind the scenes to take care of his people, but at the same time, still crushing it for the bank. Um, and they're doing very well. Uh, he is a very unconventional thinker, which is really a lot of the reason that I wanted to have him on, uh, because I think that a lot of small business owners don't know that there are bankers out there that think unconventionally. Uh, he has a lot of out-of-the-box out ideas that he actually follows through on, which is pretty cool. Um, and I've been able to see some of those from inception to fruition. I mean, let's face it, banking is boring, right? Um, I mean, I think to the average person, but what's cool and I've seen Ryan do is he's been able to find a way to make it really interesting. Um, and he's done that, I think, by being a forward-thinking um, CEO and innovating inside of Surety. Um, so he's been a joy to work with and I'm super excited to have him here on Exploring Growth so my audience can benefit from his practical wisdom. So thanks again, Ryan, for being here. Lee, thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. You know, uh, you do such a great job at what you do and I've been able to see you grow at the same time. So I'm excited for this. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's been fun. And uh, uh, we got some cool stuff coming on the horizon for surety too. So um, to give our listeners a little bit of context to the ideas that you're going to share today uh, from where kind of where you're coming from. Give us the the short version of like, where did you come from in the banking world? Like, how did you get started? And what, what are you doing today with surety? So, yeah, I started out in banking out of college. And so I've, I've been in banking now. This is my 21st year in banking. And I've been a bank CEO of Surety Bank since 2009. So a little over 10 years that I've been bank CEO. Um, you know, I didn't know that I wanted to get into banking. I started out wanting to be a stockbroker. And I realized early on during internship that just wasn't for me. So I ended up taking a, a job at a little bank, Surety Bank, in Deland, Florida. And from there, what was pretty unique to that, to the other bankers is, you know, Surety Bank had no training program. So it was hands-on learning from day one. You just, you had a... You had a um, product, you had something you had to do, and you had to learn it. You had to figure out how to how to comply with regulations without any anybody telling you how to do it. There was no roadmap. It was a small bank, so it didn't have a huge procedural manual. manual. It didn't have any of those training programs. So mm -hmm. uh, looking back, to me, that, right. that really was such a benefit for me personally because I learned best just getting thrown right into something. So, you know, that's mm -hmm. been my banking uh, career is just being kind of thrown right in the middle of, you know, fires. When I became CEO in 2009, we were in the middle of the Great Recession. So, you know, it yeah. was a sink or swim. And so you know, when you have no other choice, you just march forward. And so that's been a lot of my banking career. So, you know, I've been told I don't really act like a banker. Well, I don't know what a banker should act like. So I just, you know, act like myself and do what I feel <laughs> is right. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen you uh, operate that way. And I can't imagine being uh, a brand new bank CEO in 2006. I mean, you, you, I mean, you walk into the place thinking, oh, okay, you know, it takes some time to kind of learn, you know. Uh, I'm sorry. 2009, but yeah. Oh, 2009. Oh, yeah, okay. So even worse, even even worse. Um, yeah, you just, I mean, it's, here you go. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're, uh, here, here you go. Here's a, sh- a sinking ship. Um, you know, figure it out. <laughs> oh yeah. It was within months of being CEO. Um, just my capital was getting deteriorated from bad loans right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that was a, everybody that lived through that, that was an adult and working, um, experienced that pain. And I mean, to be on the banking side of that, you, you learned a lot in a short, short amount of time, I'm sure. Well, so, um, you know, one thing I wanted to talk about today, uh, is the fact that, you, you know, you guys offer so many different things to your customers and you have a lot of unique customers, um, different than I've seen at other banks. Um, but one of the major products that you've offered to small growing businesses is this, um, this mechanism of lending. Um, I mean, it is, you know, historic banking product. It's nothing really new, but, um, which we can talk about some of that, um, here pretty soon, but I wanted to talk about lending because it still is this mechanism or tool that businesses should be thinking about utilizing properly. Um, so let's talk about lending for a small business, right? Um, I know you've seen the good, bad, and the ugly, uh, and I'm sure you have lots of stories to tell, uh, which I'd love to hear some of them. Um, but, you know, um, I, I think let's start with how should a small growing business be thinking about utilizing bit, uh, debt or leverage? You know, the way I kind of look at it as small businesses, you don't want to take on debt when you're just starting out. You know, I feel that business mm-hmm. needs to be profitable, small before you ever think about taking on debt. The last thing you want to do is take on debt. The business doesn't work out mm-hmm. and you still have to pay that debt back, you know, because then the next business mm-hmm. you start, you'll be carrying the load of the previous business. So you, you definitely want to mm-hmm. make sure that your business is successful and is producing uh, revenue and it has a good margin prior to even thinking about taking on debt uh, institutionally. Now, some businesses, you may have that great idea and you know it's going to be winter. You're better off to go to your savings, to borrow from family members and, and to you know grow organically from there. But before you really go on and take on debt from a lender, you want to establish and come mm-hmm. from a place of strength that you have this product. Whether it's a service, whether it's software, whether it's a physical product, whether you're mowing lawns and you're expanding to get that, you want to do it on a shoestring budget as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Just I I can't stress that enough. When you have people say, "Oh, well, it would be successful, but I need money first," and I've heard that a lot over the years, Mm -hmm. and majority of those aren't successful. If you think debt is going to make you successful, The business is not going to be successful. It has to be successful first, and then you leverage debt to really expand and to grow. 
definitely. And it kind of it kind of reminds me of this idea of proof of concept where, you know, you, you know, you, you want to you want to go to your banker and say, look, you know, the market has responded and they they really want what it is that I'm doing in whatever capacity. And um, now I just need some extra oomph behind me to to do more of what we're already doing that's working. Would you say that's the way they should be thinking? Correct. And then sometimes you will have where you're, uh, let's say you want to start a restaurant. Well, if you've never owned a restaurant, nobody's going to loan you money to start a restaurant. But if you've been a general manager of a restaurant and you've been in that career for years, then you've got a much better sense. The same way if you're, um, a coder and you're producing and you're working for a company doing well and now you mm-hmm. want to expand out and have your own group and you already have expertise not only in coding and project management then you mm-hmm. have that level set up so you know sometimes even before starting your business if you go and work for businesses to give you that expertise before you go out on your own that too leads to mm-hmm. your your credibility your character of you know, being more successful Mm -hmm. later on, you know, you really almost have to be a student before you can be a teacher. Most definitely. And, um, you know, I've seen that in my business too, where I'll end up getting ahead of myself because I want, I'm not being patient enough to, for, for what I'm doing, learn the craft. Right. Um, and so it sounds like what I hear you saying is people need to spend a little bit more time with their business and with their, um, their, their market, their, their customers, um, and, and take a little bit longer lead time before they take on this responsibility of, of ex- more, more of an exponential growth. Yeah. Cause when you go out on your own and you start that own business, um, you could be the best, you know, doctor and work for a hospital. Now you want your own practice. Mm-hmm. Well, even though you may be the best surgeon in the world, you own your own practice. Now you have managing people. Now you have organization. Now you got to make sure you hire the right people that are filing with insurance. So you create a lot more jobs for yourself. And, you know, some people may be really fantastic at one thing, but then now you're being asked to do a lot of other at the same time. So, you know, you need to know that going into it. You need to be agile. You need to know that just because you're an expert in that one specific field, now you're going to have 10 other hats you're going to have to wear. And, you know, that is a shock to a lot of people that end up going on their own. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, You know, you've lent money to businesses, all kinds of businesses over the years. What are some that come to mind when you think about, you know, types of businesses that have really done well in utilizing debt for growth? And how did they deploy that money? So too, and I kind of notice ones that when they come in and on commercial, you typically have more down payment on real estate than you do residential. And that's a shock to people where they're used to, well, I bought a house with 5% down. Now I want to buy this commercial building and you're wanting mm-hmm. 20%, 30% down. And they think mm-hmm. of that as a negative, mm-hmm. but the more money you have down, if that commercial property is necessary in your line of business, it insulates you in the future. So if there are hiccups, then you have built in equity, then you have room. If 
um, there's a massive recession, the economy goes down and okay, now maybe your terms could be extended a little. It gives you some room and breathing room. You don't want to go in there and think of, mm-hmm. you know, what's the littlest I can go in and go down. Like, you know, it, it's okay to put more down on that commercial property. Um, I, I want success right. of you, not to just, you know, always look at leveraging, leveraging. You do need to build in some cushions in, in regards to economy because, you know, not everything is 100% in your control. Right. Yeah, I know you got some some juicy stories of some businesses you've lent money to over the years. Uh, <laughs> and I know you can't say say names and business names, but I, you know, I know everyone would love to hear a good story about either, either, either how something was, you know, that was utilized in a great way and you saw them grow. Cause I think that's really rewarding for what you do or, you know, maybe where someone didn't do what they should have done with the money. So, you know, probably we're commercial lenders, so I can speak to like, that and majority of our loans over the years have been commercial loans tied to commercial real estate or real estate for the mm-hmm. commercial purpose. But one thing I learned really quick, um, and, and I've been a lender for many years and underwriting loans. Prior to 2009, it seemed very easy. Banks were, um, if I didn't loan this money, the other bank was going to loan. So a lot of banks were just they were going past their, they were doing a lot of exceptions because they're like, well, I have to be in this business. I have to lend. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, you know, as a banker, you cannot do, you, you can't, you know, you can't base your judgment based on what your competition is doing. You have to stick to what mm-hmm. you know, number one. So what I saw in 2009, when the great recession hit and property values decreased, um, it was now socially acceptable to be foreclosed on or, you know, to short sale. It, it was socially acceptable. And so people would hear from their neighbors, oh, I got out of this much debt and this. And, mm-hmm. you know, commercial mm-hmm. loans, and you know, banks aren't owned by the government. You know, Trudy Bank, mm-hmm. we're a business just like any other business. We have shareholders mm-hmm. and, you know, businesses think, oh, well, the bank's insured. Well, yes, the deposits are insured and that insurance mm-hmm. comes into play mm-hmm. after all the owners of bank have, you know, exhausted all of our equity. So, you know, mm-hmm. before it ever mm-hmm. even would get to that, mm-hmm. all the owners would have lose all their equity in a bank for FDIC insurance to ever come into play. So yeah. during that time when people were saying, you know, I can't make my payment. Um, in businesses, what I would do is since I was young, 30 years old, I would just show up plain clothes and go, if it's a retail establishment, go there and lay my eyes on it and see. And a lot of times you could judge, you can see, yeah, they had a little down in the economy, but they were playing it up. So they were doing the opposite than they were years before. They're saying, oh, I'm doing so well now. Yeah. They were saying, I'm not doing very well. And I remember one specifically, it was a gas station and I was in there and the guy was saying how good he was. You know, there was a huge uh, apartment development right behind him. So there was a lot of traffic in there and that was a cash business. So mm-hmm. he could, mm-hmm. you know, may not report everything on his taxes. Mm-hmm. And so he's telling the bank, I can't make a payment. I can't afford this. But when I went in there just talking to him, he didn't know me from Adam. He was telling me how great business was doing. And he just called my yeah. office and was saying he was going to throw his keys at us. 
And so hearing that, I hand him my card. You could see it in his face. Yeah. Oh, shit. I go, that's right. <laughs> you know, it just, and so from then on, it was like, you know, so we took the hands-on approach and there, the people were yeah. impacted greatly in 2009. Everyone was. He was impacted. Yeah. But he wasn't impacted to the scale where, you know, I, I forget what he owed us. So let's say half a million dollars. What he wanted us to do was just say, forgive $200,000. Well, that's us taking money mm-hmm. from our pocket. Mm-hmm. You know, so no, we worked right. with him. We, mm-hmm. we did lower the rate because he was impacted. But we had to get to that honesty level because really he, he was bluffing. He didn't want to get foreclosed on. That's the how he feed. So, you know, we went, took the hands-on approach. I would go out, visit him. It's a retail establishment. I would sit out there, watch the traffic, see you have a good gauge and work with them. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, at that time they couldn't afford a 7%. Well, could they afford 4%? Okay. Were they interest only? Right. right. So, um, you know, just hands-on approach. But really during that time, of it really turned socially acceptable to be foreclosed on. And that was detrimental to everybody as a whole, you know, so people didn't realize how that trickled down and affect property values throughout the whole nation. Right. Yeah. You know, and that makes me think of, um, uh, it thinks makes me think of fraud, right? We've talked about, about fraud a lot. Um, and in fact, it's probably a good time to plug your, your new, uh, podcast that's about to launch called paper, uh, where you talk about fraud and you talk about, cryptocurrency and NFTs and uh, Bitcoin exchanges and all kinds of fun, new future money type of things, DeFi um, related things. Uh, and I'll link that in wh- wherever this is posted. I'll, I'll link that there. Uh, a lot of really cool conversations that are happening there. But this this makes me think of all, some of our fraud conversations, you know, um, where uh you, you basically have a whole team. I would say you know have a whole floor at Surety that is uh, dedicated to fighting fraud for money service businesses. Um, I mean, I would be interested to get some of your thoughts on um, fraud as it uh, you know in context to small growing businesses. You know, because I think a lot of the businesses are B two B, but a lot of them are B two C, and they have a lot of fraud both ways. Yeah, that is true, and that is the. You know, what you see in the media all day long is, you know, consumers being defrauded. And that, of course, happens. And there has to be consumer awareness. And there should be a lot of these consumer protection laws that help. Um, But really, it's a two-way street, you know, just in that effect. You know, that person, they were trying to defraud us. And Mm -hmm. consumers are creating, too, a whole lot of fraud in the industry. That, that is created, you know, so mm-hmm. all of that fraud is kind of built into the pricing in regards to when you're a small business owner, depending on what you sell, you know, you're going to accept payments in many different areas. Um, you know, my uh, brother-in-law, he builds and manufactures um, enclosed and, uh, trailers, you know, whether to store, um, if somebody wants to store their motorcycles, their lawn equipment, that kind of stuff. So these are mm-hmm. high ticket items. They run from a few thousand to tens of thousands custom made. And, you know, he of course mm-hmm. is going to accept check cash money orders, get paid as it goes. But, um, you know, there was, there mm-hmm. was a year where he 
you know, took a credit card transaction. That person was there, ID, everything. It was nearly $10,000. And then later, chargeback. And he had to fight that and lost that 10000 So he did everything on his end. So that is a huge cost to that small business. Luckily, they were able to get that trailer back and have that chargeback. Yeah. But now yeah. he can't sell that trailer for $10,000. It's now used right. and impactful. Right. But, you yeah. know, if he wasn't in a good position and strength, that one thing could be a domino effect and cause cash flow problems. And, you know, businesses a lot of times don't go under because they're not profitable. They go under because of cash flow. You know, they have to buy the right. raw materials. They have to pay their employees before they're getting paid. So as a lot of upfront mm -hmm. cost goes mm -hmm. until they get paid. So, um, you know, and that's where there could be a lot of benefits to accepting um, cryptocurrency as opposed to a credit card for larger ticket items because you don't have that chargeback risk. Right. It's putting that ownership then on the consumer vetting the business. So it's, it's kind of a swap. So gotcha. there's applications to that. Um, so really, yes, you know, uh, the paper podcast, you know, we'll dive in into different areas of to what is true. Mm -hmm. You know, you have fraud on both sides mm -hmm. and, you know, what protections are there? Yeah, you know, and um, I want to touch on the cryptocurrency side of it, but for business owners who are, not really in tune with um, Bitcoin and the blockchain and all the, the, the different DeFi things that are coming that are going to be beneficial to a large degree for them. You know, in terms of fraud, how can they, what should they be thinking about how to um, limit the amount of fraud that comes through their business and in their dealings? I mean, I think that story about, about your brother-in-law is a great, a great example. Well, I mean, little things too, if you're accepting credit cards, understand, uh, your rights and what the risk is, you know, whether it's, you know, early mm -hmm. on, everybody should obviously have that chip reader, but you know, there's different levels of degree. Mm -hmm. If you're accepting online payments, then as a merchant, there's a level of degree of fraud that you may be accepting, um, whether it's a mm -hmm. presentment or whether it's ever by the phone and you're getting the CVV on the card. So you do kind of need to know mm -hmm. those things because it's not if you're going to get hit, it's when. Um, because in this day and age, right. the consumer could have received your, your um, goods. Maybe they were just unhappy with it. They have buyer's remorse mm -hmm. and they go on their app and dispute the charge to their credit card. And now that's affecting your livelihood. Right. You know, right. So be proactive, be upfront. You know, if somebody has an issue with your product, um, you know, know those things. Maybe it easy is easier to say, send me the product back or refund your money as opposed to them then doing a charge back and affecting your percentages mm -hmm. and ratios later down the road. Yeah. So it's thinking through on the front end then, you know, how are people going to receive my product or service and how are they going to use it? And what could be going through their, through their mind during those that that time? You know, I've seen on Amazon that comes to mind. You see the product descriptions are changing now, where they're much more involved around how they're explaining what your experience is going to be, so that it's fair, they're, they're setting your expectation for when you receive this product. We don't want you to send it back. Is essentially when you read through the lines, that's what they're saying. Um, 
And so, you know, maybe, maybe for businesses, it's, it's about whether it's a product or a service, it's about thinking about that interaction and the experience that they're going to have. Cause you know, as a marketer, I know, um, you know, we talked a lot about this is a lot of it is about experience these days. And that's what people are, are spending their money on. And I think that even goes to, to when they buy products or when they buy a service from a traditional type of business, um, like a lawn company. I mean, uh, I, I think that people, um, want to have a certain experience and they have an expectation in their mind. Um, and if that's not satisfied, then they just charge it back or they just say, you know, I'm going to take it back to target or Walmart or Amazon or wherever. And I think they're sort of starting to apply that, that, that thinking across the board which can damage uh, businesses in their cash flow because now they have all these chargebacks and they have product that they either don't have on their shelves now um, or do have and can't sell. So um, I think that's, that's, that's good advice. Two, when you start out and if you're a one person shop, you can be profitable in smaller margins, but then you have to mm-hmm. realize, okay, now I want to expand and I'm moving from my house to a facility and I have other employees. As your business grows, mm-hmm. you have to have more margin in your product to make as much mm-hmm. money because now you're adding on a lot of additional costs, more taxes, more mm-hmm. uh, you know payroll taxes, and it, it just keeps adding on. And I, I remember, um, was he, I heard or listening uh, a, um, a very successful business owner, and he said. Every time my business tripled, I had to learn a whole new set. So whether you went from one employee to three employee was completely different, nine, 27. And so, and, and I can see that too, because where we're at now at about, I believe, 36 employees. Okay, if we're to triple, then I'm going to have to have, you know, more different titles of bank employees. So now I've got additional other costs. We're going to have more you know, maybe someone specific now to HR, maybe someone specific to this, to where, you know, outsourcing portions of it through a payroll provider is fine now at this size. So a lot of times as you grow, if you're not getting lesser in your cost of building your product um, or getting that, your other expenses are going to expand. And so sometimes growth is not always the best because there are a lot of additional expenses you're adding. Yeah, I've, and I see that too, uh, and I think that's really the biggest struggle that I see CEOs having, uh, from my vantage point, going from a smaller company to maybe a mid-sized company, is not being able to change their thinking about how they're taking their business to market, and that's across the board. Um, as you're saying, you know, from three employees to 27 employees, your your company looks different. You have different titles, different roles that have different policies, different trainings. You know, you have to start putting systems in place. Um, you know, your, your business becomes, it's a growing organism, you know, it becomes something new. It's like a, an infant is, you know, ultimately going to become a teenager. And those are two different stresses for a parent. Right. Um, but you have to be able to adapt and change with that growing organism. Um, so you can serve it well and have it serve your customers well. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's great. Let's talk about, um, cryptocurrency, um, because uh, I I think you have an interesting perspective on banks and how they, um, what their relationship is with crypto. Um, how how do you see banks adapting 
to the use of Bitcoin um, or other crypt cryptocurrencies as money changes in the future? Yeah, um, you know, when I am out and I, um, you know, I'm talking to other bankers, the majority consistency is, well, I just don't understand it. I, I, I just this. And, you know, you don't have to necessarily understand it 100% as a banker, but you got to understand it's there. It's real. Even though you may not have a customer that's an exchange, you're going to have consumers that are going to be purchasing it. So, you know, it is going to hit their bank, whether they like it or not. It's either going to be drafted out and go to a Coinbase exchange. Um, they may see deposits coming in through Kraken and, you know, they need to be aware, of course, that this does exist. It is mainstream and, you know, it, it's going to happen throughout their institution. So, you know, banks have a level of monitoring that we have to do. So, you know, Surety Bank, we, we know that we have compliance. You know, we're in a highly regulated industry. So my approach is I take compliance. To me, compliance is a profit center. You have to do it. So you better be as good and as efficient at it. And so that's where I have really set mindset and culture is compliance. Yes, we have to do it. We're going to be better than everyone else. You don't have to have a large size. You don't have to be a $3 trillion bank to have good compliance. Right. You just have to know what is right. going on in your business, who they are, and ultimately follow the transactions and follow the money and make sure people aren't up to nefarious activities. So, you know, that's what you have to do. So, you know, we lean into compliance and we are experts in anti-money laundering. Do you, uh, what's your take on like the landscape of banks? And let's just talk about community banks, you know, the smaller banks, not the big banks. Cause I think most business owners would agree that having a smaller bank is a good, good thing um, because there's a personal connection there. You know, um, they know your business, they know you, that kind of thing. Um, do you see, when you look at community banks and this adoption or non-adoption of crypto, and the related sort of DeFi conversation, do you see them, uh, certain banks that they're going to sort of be weeded out over time because they're not paying attention to it? Um, or how do you how do you think it's going to change how banks, you know, approach lend, lending and deposits? I think that's going to be the same banks that would be weeded out regardless of crypto just because of change because they're not hmm. evolving and adapting with there, you know, they, they are stuck in their ways and they don't want to change. You know, we've always done it this way and they're not changing. So whether it's crypto or anything, they're not going to adapt regardless. Mm -hmm. So I think they would get weeded out from something else. And inherently bankers don't like crypto because there is no centralization. You know, banks process everything through centralization. But and also, in theory, like individuals are not going to completely go away and be a hundred. Not everybody's going to go into a hundred percent decentralization either. You know, there's a risk to that too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there is a way that banks can maintain, you know, their aspect of centralization, um, be responsible. It is still, you know, you know, you have your money in a bank. You do have insurance. Okay, mm -hmm. you don't and cryptocurrencies you don't right so um you've got that aspect so you know banks aren't going away you can transfer and i, I can 
I can see, you know, there, there's definitely going to be a lot more regulations as it comes with cryptocurrencies and, you know, whether the SEC wants to get on it, stored value, isn't it a stock they're selling? Um, so much of the transactions is state by state. So it really needs to be um, a little bit more centralized for the reg for them. So they're not having to apply with each individual state. So I, I see some standard across the board. And um, yes, I, I can see where banks can play a major part into possibly even hosting wallets and having it secured. And, you know, why can't we level up later on and even have insurance on, pro on products later on? You know, why isn't that possible? So um, I think there's a lot of technology and it, it all, you know, interconnects because, you know, crypto is not there's a ton of transparency in crypto. It's not completely anonymous. You know, those mm -hmm. things. And ultimately when crypto and especially in large amounts, once it's touching the financial banking system, the banks have to know that that money generated was from legal means. I mean, that's, right. it's always the way when we open up accounts, we have to have a reasonable belief of who that individual, who that business is and whether or not this money is from ill-gotten gains. I mean, we have to. Mm -hmm. And th that's fine. I don't think anybody can really dispute that. I think individual was, you know, if Lee wants to, um, majority of people and consumers, they just don't like the prying eye of the government. So they like that mm -hmm. aspect. And I can understand that was get out of my business. You know, if, if I want to mm -hmm. buy X, that's my business. Leave me alone. And I get that, you know, but overall, I think everybody can have a consensus of you don't want you know, human trafficking. You don't want terrorist activities. You don't want right. Right. large scale money laundering operations and cartels. Like, I think we can all agree we don't really want that. And we need to do our best to keep that out of our financial systems. Yeah. So it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like to me, banking if it innovates and, and, and really thinks about the consumer, it can become, it can stay relevant long-term. I, I think in the short term, you're, I agree that like banking is still very relevant, but in the long term, I think it can stay relevant by being part of the mechanism that supports, like truly supports the consumer through compliance, fraud, um, you know, and, and possibly transactions as well, continuing, continuing on. Um, but I think it's going to take, bankers to rethink their business model to a large degree um, as time goes on. Otherwise, I mean, just like any other business, they're, you know, cu customers are going to go where they want to go and what suits them. So they have to have a value in the market. What's and, that and, value? And it's going to need to um, advancements and, in the federal government and this centralization as well. So, you know, you know, they've got to do some upgrading. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's that that I have another question about that. I think more of a, a broader question, I guess, is that how should small businesses be thinking about their relationship with a bank these days as we're talking about this bigger picture of all these different things that are coming and happening with banks um, and with the, you know, the economy? Um how should they think about a healthy relationship with a bank and what can a bank do for them? Yeah, that's a really good question. And you got to think of where you want to go from there. Um, 
there's a lot of options. You can open up accounts very quickly. Does it make a difference if they're in your neighborhood or online? You know, what, what is important to you? To me, ultimately, what is important is, you know, banks generally sell the same product. I'm not kidding anyone. They're all the same bank accounts. They all go through... The, the same system at the end of the day. In terms day. of function, yeah. In terms Correct. of function, you know, yes. That yeah. is. So, you know, banks themselves, they may have a different differentiator on their marketing on the front end, but, you know, we're all selling pretty much the same thing. But I, I can tell you in 2009, when the shit hit the fan and that business was broke on, you know, the, F, the federal government, when they came and examined us, they wanted us to foreclose on everybody that was defaulting. So they made it very difficult. If we had a loan at 7%, they could afford that, but they could afford 5%. They made, gave, it was more incentive of incentives for us to foreclose than it was to work it out. Because when you worked out that loan, it went on our books as a troubled debt. And more troubled debts increased our insurance and, and you know increased our costs. So, but in spirit, that's not a good thing. Even though if that property did have enough equity where we were going to remain whole from foreclosure, we weren't going to foreclose on that person if they could afford that. You know, it's right. just plain insensitive. But when you do go with a large bank and they paint with a broad stroke, that's what you're going to get. You know, you know Wells Fargo eliminating um, lines of credits and businesses you know, over the past year. So I heard people that, um, you know, in the practice. So, you know, you need to know who you're dealing with uh, up front. So we don't do that. We're not going to paint a wide brush and say, you know what, I'm going to eliminate all of my lines of credits because we individually looked at those lines of credits and we based those lines of credits not on whether um, they deserved it, but whether they had a need to utilize it. We're just not selling products to add to our quota, you know, right. My staff, we're not doing that. We're, they're not going to hit a quota for selling six accounts to one individual, you know, right. We don't do that. We're never going to do that. And so when there is an issue, whether we made a mistake or whether some inadvertently happened, they come, you're going to be able to talk to somebody very quickly, hands down. So, right. Maybe, um, you know, on the front end, is it going to cost more? Is it going to more time? Maybe, you know, because, you know, we have to make a certain percentage so we can maintain that level of service because we're going to be there for you with good times. It's it's just like anything else in the market. We're not going to run away from you during the bad times. Exactly. It's it's just like anything, any other product in the market. If it, there's a there's a premium on it, and again, it, it's a slight premium um, to the quality, right? I mean, if the quality's not there, uh, was it really worth that extra half a point you got off on that loan? Um, I mean, I've dealt with big banks um, from a customer service standpoint, just as a consumer in the past, and um, it's like dealing with the government. That's the best analogy I can give because. If it doesn't fit in their box, it's just com- you're completely shut down. There's absolutely, you know, the branch manager, the regional manager, the whoever, they'll straight up tell you, I can't, I cannot do anything about it and I won't. 
my boss cannot do anything about it and they won't and so on and so forth. This is a policy for this reason and it, we just will not do anything. And to me, I find that just like, that is, that's just crazy that, that how that, how they're able to oper business, that operate a business like a that. half a point difference on that loan is going to make the difference in your business, you shouldn't be in business, you know? And yeah. if that's the biggest yeah, thing right. for you is that rate having now obviously if there's a huge rate spread that, that's a different story but you know if that half a point is going to make a difference right. in your loan on that rate for you to go to a you know one of the top four largest banks or community bank mm -hmm. you know you don't mm -hmm. believe in relationships because yeah. at the end of the day in three in two years three years if you wanted to modify that loan they're not going to do that you know, mm -hmm. um, and modifications, let's say you have three pieces of collateral and you're going to sell a piece of collateral and mm -hmm. substitute mm -hmm. it for another. That big bank is not going to know how to do that. They're going to say, <laughs> pay us off right. and we'll redo it. And then you've got a whole nother level of costs. So where we're going to look at that, we can modify yes. that, you know, charge appropriately just for that. And then that saved you so much time and saved you docs and some tangible taxes. And, and, you know, it's just, yeah. Yeah. And I tell you people that have done, have dealt with that have had many commercial closings and have dealt with my staff and they have dealt with a large institution. They'll tell you, Oh my goodness, you guys are smooth. You're on top of it. You looked out for our interests. We reviewed that appraisal actually and looked at mm -hmm. it and said, ah, this doesn't make sense and had that conversation with our customer. And, you know, we actually look at the surveys, mm -hmm. you know, we go through those steps and follow the closing and are there. We have an employee at that closing. Right. Uh, you're not going to get that at another bank. And so if that half a point is important to you, you know, we're just not the right fit. So uh, I got one last question for you before we sort of wrap this up. And that is if you could change a small growing business owner, CEO's mind about anything, and it doesn't have to be lending, um, it could, or financial, it could be anything that you've seen. Um, what so, would that um, be? You know, don't have an ego and just know because it works today, it may not work tomorrow and it's okay to go back and scrap it and start over. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in the life of any business, you have to do that no matter what it is, whether it's hiring procedures, whether it's um, how you're verifying your yeah. cash flow, every part of your business, you know, always take a step back and think, you know, do I need to change this? Do I need to scrap it and start over? And it, it's okay to do that. And watch out for uh, the big thing, a loss aversion, just because you've had X amount of money into it doesn't mean you should keep throwing more money after it. Don't throw good money after bad. And that's really yes. hard because if you have you know, $10,000 into something, you're like, oh no, there are thousand dollars of work. And you know, yeah. sometimes it's better just yeah. scrap it all together and start over. And, and that's very difficult once you have money into it. And I, I've seen that with people is they almost make decisions of how much money they already have into it as opposed to mm -hmm. what they could go on forward. So, you know, pay atten attention to that. People are more afraid of losing what they have. So watch out for that loss right. aversion principle. Right. And, you know, it, it's okay to start over. 
Uh, thanks for being on here again and, and, and all the practical wisdom, you know, the banker can give because I can't think of another banker that would be able to, you know, relate with a small business owner as much as you can. Um, as we kind of wrap this up, do you have any resources that you could recommend books, podcasts, um, whatever it may be that you, you've come across that you've found value in that you think it would be yeah, beneficial to a business rework. owner? I love that. It's got practical, quick little okay. knowledge, you know, the creators of Basecamp uh, on there, how you, you know, they, you know, they created an app that worked and had small functions. And even though they had all this input of, Hey, can your app do this and this, they realized that like, I can't do a million things crappy. I just need to do a few things right. Um, yeah. And I think that yeah. was pretty awesome. And then a lot of times I'm making, I've gotten better ideas outside of my industry of course, like, I, you know, I've never really had a unique idea at a banking convention, but, um, you know, I've gotten better ideas in other industries and how it can carry over. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've, in bank, I've got more information from Wired Magazine. <laughs> you know? yeah. So you, you can find yeah. uh, inspiration and business practicality. Uh, always podcasts are great to listen to. Um, you know, I, I, I like Tim Ferriss on how he digs into different things. He's got a wonderful business mind. Uh, I mean, even if you listen to Joe Rogan mm-hmm. and the experts he puts on there, you know, yeah, I, they don't have to be an expert in business. They could be a expert in martial arts and how they take care of that and how it can c- carry forward into your life. And yeah, so, you know, Most whatever definitely. you're interested in, I think you can yeah, carry great. it toward your business because, you know, banking is boring. So I've had to, make it uh, more exciting for me to keep my attention. Yeah. yeah. Uh, banking's boring, but the business of banking Absolutely. is very interesting. Because it touches everybody, uh, every business uh-huh. and commercial, That's right. uh, consumers. And so it can be very exciting. And it, it's really neat when, you know, we're, we're in a small town. So a lot of loans on lending on downtown, you're seeing flourish that those businesses you know, wouldn't be there if we didn't lend them the money years ago and now they're successful. Mm -hmm. So um, that's really, really cool to see. That's great. Well, thanks again. Um, So if people want to find you, they can go to ryangjames.com. They can find your paper, the paper podcast there, which is really exciting that you're launching that pretty soon. A um, lot of you can hear lots of Ryan's ideas much more in depth there. Um, it's just really exciting. Thanks again, Ryan. And I hope to have you back here once things get going. Hey, I really appreciate you tuning into this episode of Exploring Growth. I'm trying to get this in the hands of as many growing businesses as possible so they can take this practical wisdom and deploy it in their companies or with their teams. If you're getting some value out of this show and know someone who should listen as well, would you consider sharing it with them or leave a positive review on the platform in which you're listening or watching? YouTube audience, leave a comment below with something you liked or your perspective on what we discussed. Um, I'm grateful for everyone that tunes in every week. Let's keep exploring.